0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you guys for being with me here today. Really excited to be back. It has been uh, it has been a while. Unfortunately, I've been traveling a lot for work, so it's been tough to uh, to get a time to really sit down and put my thoughts together for uh, for the next video. But I have been working on on a biogen model, and I come came up with some good conclusions that I think we can uh, we can get some lessons from. So. Today we're going to talk about Biogen, and I do also want to touch on the Zolgensma, Avexis, Novartis approval that we heard on Friday, and we also got some pricing information. So that's got everybody excited because that grabs a lot of headlines. But I'll uh, I'll give my take, just a just a taste of my take because you know it's a it's a polarizing issue. But yeah, I'm feeling good. It's a Memorial Day weekend. Got my collared shirt on, so um ready to uh, ready to get into it. But uh, let's just start with the news, and I know this stuff is kind of dated because it's been so long, but just to provide some continuity from the last video, I thought I would just touch on these individual points. So the first thing is uh, the Federal Reserve meeting that happened probably about a month ago now. Um, we weren't really sure what they were going to do, if they were already going to decrease rates or not, but they ended up maintaining the federal funds rate where it is. I think it's like two and a quarter to 2.5. And uh, they lowered their interest on excess reserves rate. And this is the rate at which they pay the banks to keep their money at the Federal Reserve. So I'm not going to go into very much detail on this, but um, basically, you know, the Fed is still being patient, as they like to say. And I think it's pretty clear that they respond to the market as opposed to what the economy is doing. And basically, as soon as the market is going to start turning, they're going to... Uh, lower the rates, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I think uh, a lot of the indicators still show that the economy is doing pretty well. But there is a GDP print coming later this week that uh, that could, you know, could change that. So something else that happened is uh, the China-USA trade deal fell apart. So, you know, we don't really know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But basically, um, the uh, tariffs, tariffs were increased and instituted when... Uh, you know the the deal wasn't coming along fast enough for Trump, and I think he really feels the pressure to to get a deal done. And you know, I would assume that they try to work something out before um, before the election. At least Trump's going to do what he can to try and get a deal. And whether it's a good deal or a bad deal, I think he's going to just want a deal no matter what in order to use that for for 2020. But China plays the long game, so I think they might be able to hold out longer than Trump thinks they can. But We'll see. The uh, The news has actually hit the Chinese markets a lot worse than the uh, United States markets, so I don't know. I don't know how far we can we can push it, but um, that was pretty interesting. So another thing, we got tech earnings that came out, and yeah, so we're going weeks back, but basically my, my overall take is that growth is slowing in general, and uh, the markets are slowly starting to price that in, but tech still is, uh, is very highly valued, so they have a, a definite long... Uh, drop ahead of them if if the growth slows a lot quicker than we expect. So that's something to, to keep in mind as we move forward in in the rest of the year. Some companies that reported earnings that uh, that I got a chance to take a look at their earnings transcript. So I am going to talk touch on each one of these. Um, actually, not global blood, but uh, some other ones, and uh, provide my insight anyway on what I think. Um, the takeaway was and what, what we can use and what we can uh, hope to expect from these companies moving forward. Another piece of news that came out was uh, Esperion. Uh, the FDA accepted their NDA for two bempedoic acid products, and we're going to hear back from that in February of 2020. And the most exciting part was that there was no plan for an advisory committee. And the reason why this is exciting is because. The benpidoic acid, acid drug actually had some safety concerns going back a long time ago. And these were largely overblown, in my opinion. But because there was so much hype around the safety, I think a lot of people were expecting an advisory committee. And if we think about, you know, amarin and vesipa, its safety profile is a lot better than benpidoic acid. So I think people are, you know, excited to see that no advisory committee for Aspirion tends to mean that there might not be an advisory committee for Aspirion. For Ameren, pardon me. So, yeah, so that makes me uh, pretty happy with my Amarin position right now. And I know it's been volatile, but um, yeah, so that's kind of my takeaway for that. And then, yeah, the uh, Zolgensma was approved by the FDA. So we'll ta- talk about that a little bit later. So just to get into the earnings updates, um, I'm just going to bang these out. I know this is a big wall of text, but there's uh, there's some interesting interesting stuff here that I think we can take away. So to talk about Ameren, you know, scripts are doing well, 80% up year over year, revenues up 66% year over year. I think people were disappointed in the increased costs that they had, but, you know, they need to be ready for when that supplemental NDA uh, gets approved so that their sales force can get out there and uh, and really make, it, make a difference in the field. So there's no surprise that they're trying to increase the sales force and get them all trained and ready to go on Visipa. So um, we're waiting to hear back from the FDA on that NDA, and with that, we'll hear whether or not they, they're doing accelerated approval or whether or not there's an advisory committee. And I quoted this nugget here because um, I thought that was helpful. So Ameren is operating under the assumption that there will be an advisory committee for this SNDA. Now, I don't think that the market is, uh, is under this assumption, given the safety profile. So I think... If an, if an adcom comes through, if they want to do an adcom, uh, we could see some downside for Amarin, even though the eventual result will be positive. So that's something to keep in mind. I think uh, if there is no adcom, we could see a little bit of a bump, but um, I don't think it'll be as significant as the contrary. Ameren's also continuing to guide 350 million for 2019. So let's hope those scripts continue to increase as we uh, go through the year. Okay, so Viking. Uh, they announced $4.5 million in R&D expenses for Q1, and they have about $300 million in cash. So to me, this really just signals they're not doing very much. And I would like to see them put this cash to use. And, you know, whether that's some partnerships or investing in, in more stuff, uh, it, that would be nice, because right now it just seems like they're they're slowly coming together with their, their NASH drug and getting this pre-IND meeting with the FDA. But you know, they have a lot of assets, and it would be nice to see them develop them further. So, to talk specifically about um, I think it's 2809, the uh, thyroid receptor beta agonist, they're going to do a phase 2b trial in biopsy confirmed NASH, hoping to start later in the year. Um, And they're doing this pre IND meeting with the FDA, so that's very good. This is their most, their hottest drug that they have. but, you know, this is going to take a long time for it to, to develop, and it's going to be an expensive trial. So um, I think the bear case for, for Viking is that they're going to have to raise more money to do this. But, you know, they're still not using very much money every quarter right now. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I have a decent position in Viking, and I'm down on it, I think. But I think uh, the short thesis is going to run out of steam eventually. They talked about planning an IND for VK0214 for X-linked adrenoleukodystrophy. And if you remember a couple of videos ago, I did one on what is it? Yeah, VK five two one one, which was a, a SARM, an uh, no, yeah, SARM, androgen receptor modulator. And uh, it's too bad that I didn't spend that time to do it on VK 214 seeing as how they're moving forward with that one and not the the other one. So it's unfortunate, but I did notice that this uh, this nugget here, um, and this is something I touched on in the video. So so check it out if you're interested in in uh, the androgen receptor. But they mentioned that um, regarding functional endpoints, that they're very difficult. And when you combine them, it makes it ex- especially, exceptionally difficult to complete successfully without a large, very long study. And it's something they're not gonna pursue alone. So they're, they're gonna find a partner if they wanna move forward with it and, uh, and pursue it that way. But it's, uh, it's too bad, because I do like the drug, but um, it looks like they're gonna, they're gonna shelf that until they find a partner. Regarding fate, uh, three patients have been treated with multiple FT500 doses, and this is their iPSC-derived NK cell product. So this is very cool. The fact that they're at three patients makes me think that the the safety is there, Um, but we'll have to wait and see how that works out. They're submitting an IND and enrolling for this FT516 and FT596, and these are iPSC-derived NK cells that have been gene-edited to express a specific molecule. And these molecules are involved in activating the host immune system to help help the entire body uh, fight this cancer. So this will be really cool if if we do see a positive result in these um, FT500 patients, I think we would also see some good data for the uh, 516 and 596. But we'll have to we'll have to wait for that. The Opex is 21.23.1 million per quarter. So. With 183 million left in cash, I think FATE is going to have to raise some money within the next year or so, year or two. So I'm being careful with my position in FATE. And I did sell the the like five shares I had on this latest increase in the price. And I'm going to look to buy back in if it dips below maybe like 15 or after they raise some cash um, because I do see that coming. Now, to get to the most interesting one. I, uh, I was looking forward to the Gilead earnings call because I was hoping to get some hints on whether or not they might do some M&A in Nash, which is a, a space that they are interested in. But, uh, you know, it left a lot to the imagination, put it that way. So uh, above all, they talked about Yaskarta sales, uh, $93 million, which is up 90% quarter over quarter, which is nice to see uh, that business develop as it is. They are submitting an NDA for this uh, Kite X19 drug in mantle cell lymphoma so they're not just staying with Yaskarta as it is they're trying to expand that CAR-T business to try and get more treatments for it so I think this this whole business is going to see some increases as it as it is and especially uh Dan O'Day talked about hiring a CEO for the CAR-T business and I think it's probably a good idea given it's such a unique um, treatment that having a CEO operate this branch of the company separately might allow them the freedom to. to succeed easier. Phil met its primary endpoint in a phase three study recently, and I think it's two or three phase three studies that they've done in rheumatoid arthritis. So this is going to be a new revenue-producing asset for them um, once it's you know once it's on the market. So that's pretty exciting for Gilead. And then to finally get to Nash, they talked about a collaboration with this in Citro company. And as far as I know, they're, they just do disease models. So this is more just, um, you know, uh, a way to come up with new compounds for NASH specifically. And I think this is kind of a weird move for Gilead only because there's so many successful late stage, mid to late stage clinical products out there in NASH that, that work. So for them to want to go back to preclinical to try and figure out these new compounds seems like a step backwards. And Dan O'Day also talked about combo therapies as being uh, important for Nash, and you know, I, I guess so. It's it's possible that a good combo therapy could work, but again, I think you know, there's so many of these good compounds that exist already in Nash that uh, for them they're going to be a really they're going to come to this game a lot later than some of these other companies if they don't hurry up. So it would have been nice to see them talk a little bit more about M&A, but uh, we didn't really get that at all. So. It's unfortunate, but, um, yeah, we'll see. And, you know, they are doing a lot of collaborations. So I think uh, I talked about the one with Novo in Nash. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. But kind of disappointed in the Gilead call. All right, so let's get to the uh, the main topic of, of today, which is Biogen. And I'm going to focus on their Q119 call. Uh, it's the most up-to-date one. But I'm going to talk about these larger themes on why I think they, uh, they aren't really a good short or a good long right now. So to to break the surprise, basically the model that I've come up with shows that the valuation for Biogen right now is pretty fair, given that there's a lot of short-term uncertainties in the, in this company. So to break down the business as it is, uh, there's four large themes. They have an MS business that is by far their largest part of their business, biosimilars business, anti-CD20, and spinal muscular atrophy, or Spinraza. So the MS franchise is basically flat uh, year over year and with more competition coming down the line, you know, people can argue that this is going to decline as we move forward. It could also decline if this Techfidera IP battle goes against Biogen. So I'm going to touch on that in a second, but um yeah, but it's something that that we need to be careful of. Biosimilars business is increasing, but again, it's still pretty low. It's not a, it's not a huge part of their business. Anti-CD20 is also growing, but it's also facing a lot of of competition moving forward. And then, Spinraza, which is their their highest growth asset right now, um, you know they have Zolgez- Zolgensma that was just approved, so it's going to face a lot of competition moving forward as well. And we also actually see fewer um, Spinraza start patients. So the the growth that we see is basically once they are they're on this therapy they stay on it and it's a yearly uh, payment for a four month for a once every four month treatment so this there's a concern here as well and I'll talk about these uh, these specifically but total revenue for the quarter is 3.5 billion which is up 11% net income 1.4 billion up 20% year over year and yeah, so market cap of forty-four billion. So the major risk that I see to biogen in both directions is, you know, biogen after these these latest upsets with Alzheimer's now kind of appears like a like a buyout candidate itself. And we saw with the cell gene acquisition that uh, these large MA moves are possible. So it's really hard to predict whether or not a company is gonna get bought out. And Biogen, where it is with all of its infrastructure, could be a candidate for some company that's looking to to get more into the MS business. So uh, I see this as a potential risk, especially for being short the stock. Now, the Tech Federa decision, which I'll talk about in a second, is uh, is a big deal. If Biogen loses on this Tech Federa decision, um, I think there's about 12% downside in the in the stock. Um, I think right now they're pricing in a victory here, and I think it's most likely to happen. But you know. When you're looking at shorting a company, you could really lose a lot, uh, a lot here if if the decision is positive and the stock moves up on on the news. So Biogen does have some late cl- late stage clinical data coming out for um, for a couple products that I think could move the stock quite a bit in either direction. So this is a risk for us. Um, they're seeing increased competition, which I just talked about, and they're also doing significant buybacks. So this also hurts the uh, the short thesis quite a bit. Okay, so first one, the Tecfidera thing. So Tecfidera, or dimethyl fumarate, it's a, it's a disease-modifying MS treatment, so it doesn't really treat the acute episodes that happen in MS. It overall helps with the disease itself and improves it even though it's not a cure. Now, Mylan has challenged their 514 patent, and in this patent, there's 20 claims that Biogen makes, but the the one that's Mylan's going to have the biggest... Uh, difficulty in challenging is whether or not this 480 milligram dose is non-obvious, is what they say. So, and if I'm getting this right, I believe they they did a trial in like a 300 uh, milligram dose and then a 720 milligram dose. The 300-ish milligram dose was not effective, but the 720 dose was effective. So Mylan's going to have to argue that given this, Biogen. Uh, Biogen should have known, or it would be obvious to anybody, that the 480 milligram dose uh, would work in patients. And I think that this is going to be very hard for the judges to side with myelin on because it's not very obvious to me without an actual study, without going through the, the actual um, trial to see whether or not it would work. So uh, the court has decided to review the case, but since previous challenges have been upheld, I, I think myelin is likely to lose here. Um, a loss for Biogen though would be brutal because Tecfidera is their their most revenue producing asset right now, and it would allow a generic on the market in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, so um, as opposed to twenty twenty eight. So that's you know seven years of exclusivity that they're going to lose. So this would be brutal for Biogen. The estimated contribution for the asset, as I see it, is about five point six billion or twenty percent of the market cap of. Um, Biogen. So it would be brutal, but I think the odds of Biogen losing are pretty small. So that's why I think the the market is pricing in a win for Biogen, and that this win, you know, we could see maybe two to three percent upside in the stock, uh, as opposed to a loss that would be pretty, you know, lose about 27 bucks per share. But I think the odds of that happening are quite low. But again, this is a risk, and uh, we're, we should expect a decision in 2020. All right, for competition risk to Biogen, I think uh, we need to look at these because it's, uh, you know, it's real. And and their largest business does see a lot of competition, but they have a lot of products in their pipeline that could keep them as an important company in in the space. So the one drug that is particularly noteworthy is this diro, diroxomal fumarate. So it's a similar kind of fumarate to uh, Tecfidera, except there's fewer GI side effects. So them getting approval for this, and I think it's in collaboration with Alchems, I believe is the company. Um, they're expecting a pivotal readout in mid-2019, and they've already submitted an NDA, and they're going to get, I think, the PDUFA date, oh yeah, is here, in late 2019. So, you know, this drug coming on the market, in in addition to TechFedera, whether or not they keep it, you know, could could increase the revenue for Biogen and maintain that MS franchise as it is. Um, They also have a readout for this opicinumab opicinumab, uh, in a 2B, phase 2B trial that uh, expected in mid-2020. And this did not see good positive data in the first phase 2 trial. And uh, I also noticed this quote here. They said that analyses indicated that two intermediate doses made patients better, while the highest and lowest doses had no detectable effects. And... Uh, that's that's usually not a good thing. That usually means that this is an anomaly and that the intermediate doses likely did not work if the highest dose had no detectable effect. But again, with these smaller trials, um, you're, you're more likely to see these kind of offhand effects rather than like a really large phase three trial. So I don't have a ton of hope for oposinumab, but this uh, Bib098 product um, with a positive PDUFA, I think could uh, could help, keep optimism up for, for Biogen and the MS franchise. For anti-CD20, they, uh, rituximab is the antibody and they face a lot of threats right now. And uh, this is treatment for RA, it's also treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or um, some other blood cancers as well. But there's second generation monoclonal antibodies that are coming out. Um, I did mention already that Gilead has filgotinib coming out on the market for RA. CAR-T also threatens some of these um, blood cancer areas, as well as bispecifics that are that are also going to threaten the CD20 program. So I don't think the growth that Biogen has seen in this program is going to continue. Um, so even though it's a small part of their business, I think their their supportive businesses not growing as much as they are is, is a downside, is a, a headwind for Biogen, put it that way. And then finally, uh, Spinraza's growth has slowed, but they also recently got approval in China. But the Novartis Avexis Zolgen- Zolgensma was just approved. So this is, a, this is kind of a mixed bag for me. It's hard to know whether or not um, or how long it's going to take really for Zolgensma to get and start eating out of the Spinraza market as it is. But um, Novartis talks a lot about people like are very excited about the therapy and I don't blame them, given that it's a, supposed to be a once treatment, one-time treatment, and then you're done, then you should be good. But uh, seeing how this develops is going to be very interesting. And I want to talk about this especially, because even without Zolgensma being approved, the new patient starts have decreased in growth significantly. So from Q1 of 18, they had 219 new patient starts, and Q1 of 19, they're at 160. So. This business's growth is already starting to slow quite a bit, even though the nice thing about Spinraza is once you're on the therapy, you stay on it. So it's like 375 grand a year, I believe, uh, after the first year. So these patients are, are recurring patients, um, which is, a, which is a, you know, a good boost to the revenue of uh, Biogen. But without an increase in new patient starts, this business, I think, is going to cap out pretty soon. And especially with Zolgensma being on the market, it looks like patients are going to consider that before they consider Spinraza. But, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen, and there's a lot of talk of um, patients being on Spinraza as maintenance after they get the the Zolgensma treatment. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but for me, I don't see Spinraza as maintaining its growth as it is today. But overall, oh... I forgot about buybacks, too. So, you know, with these supportive businesses going down, we also have this buybacks risk. So from now, from January until now, they have spent 1.15 billion on 4.5 million shares that Biogen has bought back. And it seems that rather than M&A, the board just wants to continue to repurchase shares to maintain shareholder value that way. I mean, I don't like that personally, but rather than buying some buying some company and seeing it fail at least if you buy back your stock that value is immediately going to shareholders so it is what it is but uh, they want to spend another six billion to repurchase shares so for me this is a huge um, risk if i were to short the stock when the company itself is going to spend a ton of their ass a ton of their money to uh, to maintain the stock where it is by buying it back their current cash sits, sits at 5.3 billion but again they could they could finance the re- the share repurchases through other ways other than their stock, but uh, for me this means that Biogen is not likely to acquire any other companies. Which it, it would be nice to see them pad their pipeline a little bit better. The uh, the Alzheimer's trials that they have in their pipeline right now are are very low chance of getting success, and I think that that's um, that's what's also keeping the stock. That's another headwind for the stock despite all of this stuff. So um looking at their pipeline as it is they uh they touted this as like a positive thing so 10 mid to late stage readouts expected by end of 2020 but if we go through it you know the the very near term ones and we're still only in May of 2019 but we're expecting this head to head data for bib098 and like i like i mentioned before i think this would be a nice addition to their ms uh, portfolio but uh otherwise you know there's not a lot to be excited about. And most of this doesn't come until late 2020. If we look here, uh, more than half of these don't come until at least mid 2020. I think this uh, this lupus trial, if it showed positive data, would be good too uh, to, to pad their portfolio. But all of this stuff mixed with the Alzheimer's trials, I think um, really makes people concerned about Biogen long-term. But for me, in the short-term today, I uh, I don't think it's the right time to short or long them, given all the things I just talked about. Uh, I'm going to monitor these buybacks throughout the year. I think the buybacks are going to prop up the price until they're over, um, and this is the one of the major reasons why I don't want to short the stock. I think the MS readout or the lupus readout could keep up optimism, and the positive tech Federa decision would also prop up the stock despite all of the despite the bear case that I laid out here, but uh, I am looking at figuring out how best to hedge my longs with some shorts, and I've been doing it an okay job with the XBI put spreads that I've been putting on, but I still don't think it's the best way. Um, so I'm, I'm reading some books on it right now and hoping to get better at it, and any insights I find, you know, I'll, uh, I'll be happy to share. All right, so I did also want to touch on the Novartis Avexis Zolgensma approval, and uh, you know, great news for gene therapy. Anybody that is long the gene therapy space should be happy to see this because it only puts more confidence in the space. And especially diseases devastating as SMA, I think it's nice to see this. Even though you do have people coming out of the woodwork saying that, oh, you know, why are companies spending all this money on these rare diseases rather than diseases that affect most people? But I uh, I have my own opinions on that. I feel like for, for you to tell a company what they should work on is kind of bold. Um but you know there's an argument to be made there as well now to the cost so the annualized cost of zolgensma was announced to be 425 grand per year for 5 years for a total cost of 2.1 million now of course the headlines that you saw were only that zolgensma is now the most expensive therapy on the market at a total cost of 2.1 million i uh, i don't like the the headlines that we we see and it just puts a negative connotation on the on the space. And it makes it seem like these companies are gouging patients when, I mean, you, you can make an argument both ways, but I, uh, I think the patients would be very glad to see that they now have an option rather than Spinraza on the market. And I really think that both of these products are going to compete with each other and might end up uh, lowering the prices of each of them. But Spinraza costs is seven hundred and fifty thousand for the first year, and then three hundred and seventy-five thousand for every year thereafter. So if you make the years the same for both, it comes out to two point two five million for five years, and uh, so Spinraza is more expensive than Zolgensma if you look at it that way but uh, the institute for clinical and economic review puts out these reports and i was actually spending some time on their website and i really encourage everybody to do it because they they look in a bunch of different disease areas and talk about drug pricing and cost effectiveness which is something that it's uh, you know it's an, it's an art there's an art to it because you're really putting a value on on a year of life and it is tough to do that but when we when it comes to deciding on on the costs for a treatment you should you need to look at these kinds of things to see whether or not it's worth it but in April, they put out a report on Spinraza and Zolgensma because there was a lot of rumors about what the price of Zolgensma would be. And uh, without the announcement that just came out on Friday, they uh, they had a report about both of these products. And they had voted unanimously that the treatment is priced in such a way that it represents low long-term value for the money. And this is on Spinraza. So they're already announcing that Spinraza is way overpriced for the benefit that you get. And then... After the Zolgensma price was, a lot, was released, ICER put out this statement here. Um, to reach the alternative thresholds of 100,000 to 150,000 per life year gained, LYG, a value based price benchmark for Zolgensma would be between 1.2 million and 2.1 million. So, you know, they're at the upper range of this clearly, but they are actually within this ICER recommended range. They also have a a model based on quality adjusted life year, and that was between 1.1 million and 1.9 million. So you could argue that they're on the higher side of the threshold here, but they say that Spinraza has low long term value for money anyway. So for all the hate to come on Novartis and Avexus for this, I think is very misplaced. But I'm biased as well. I have my own opinions about this stuff, but uh, it is what it is. This uh, this website though, I would I would go check them out if you want to get a better handle on. The economics behind drug pricing, and I know I have a lot to learn about the whole area because it's just such a—it's just so messy drug pricing in in the United States. But uh, yeah, so it's good news. All right, so the book that I'm reading in order to figure out how I should short stuff is Stan Weinstein's Secrets for Profiting in a Bull and Bear Market. I will uh, once I'm done reading it. It's been slow reading. I got to be honest, but once I finish it up, I'll be happy to do maybe a talk on that. And, uh, and maybe some people will find some value there. This is my list of companies to look at, but again, there's just, there's just two, not enough hours in the day, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when I do come up with time, I will, I will definitely check these out. And the one thing that I'm particularly interested in this week is the Q1 GDP for the U.S., and the forecast is 3.1%. And uh, anything far from that, I think, could move the market in either direction. Okay, with that, just going to do a quick portfolio wrap up as usual. And I've done like small moves incrementally in the last little while, and I haven't always tweeted about it because they're not like they're not a huge deal. And right now, my my mindset is more being uh, r- managing my risk properly. So, the the one move that I made of note was that I sold all of my Sarepta at and then I bought back eight shares at 123.62, and I still like Sarepta as a long, but I think I just overpaid for them originally, so I wanted to lower my exposure a bit, and in order to do that, because I bought at different um, time periods, is I just wanted to sell it all and then rebuy at that price. So I uh, I'm trying to manage my risk accordingly so that I have some cash on hand if uh, if the market does take a significant downturn. I mentioned that I sold my five sh- uh, fate shares, not a huge deal. I bought more Ameren um, and then I sold my Biomarin for a cool uh, 3.6%. I still like Biomarin, but again, you know, I was almost at uh, like 95% gross exposure. So I'm kind of looking at, at areas that I can preserve some capital um, in order to have something on hand if something turns against me. And I do think I might cut some of my Illumina position if it continues to go well. Just so i have some money on the side um, for things like i mentioned but yeah and then uh xbi put spread been doing okay with that been basically just flipping these put spreads when the market takes a turn and uh, and profiting off that so so far it's been going okay but again i'm uh, i'm looking for for better ideas to to short in order to to hedge my bet here all right and then the portfolio overall i'm still in line with the xbi um the whole market's been down the last few weeks though um, but we have seen some uh, cooling off from volatility. I think the uh, the trade war dispute really shook the markets and increased volatility. And then for for almost every sector here, it's uh, it's come back down. So I think people are you know they're getting used to the idea of tariffs, and it's uh, it might not be as scary as we originally thought. But um, who knows? There's a lot uh, a lot of uncertainty out there. But with that, uh, I am gonna wrap it up, guys. But thank you so much for watching, and please like subscribe. Or uh, leave me comments, send me an email. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew Lepore. And uh, yeah, leave it at that. But thanks for watching and see you next time.